0: Here we go, here we go, here we go. All right, fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray, let's go. Thank you very much for being here. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. It's good to see you. So, uh, hey, thanks for the questions here, except for this one. Here's the first question. Will overpopulation cause the world to get too heavy? Okay, that's out. It's, we, we should guess. We should go around the room and guess who turned that in. It'd be, it'd be easy to figure that out. Todd Chrisman, who turned that question in, if we just, if we thought about that. More to the point, can you explain the background behind our habit of bowing at the incarnation part and the sign of the cross at the end? Sure. So, um, one of the things that happened, well, let's start with this. We tend to take uh, the Lord for granted a bit because he's so accessible to us. He comes as friend, as brother, as one who loves us. And like all things, it's like taking your parents for granted, right? Uh, Or your kids for granted, or a mentor. Um, We tend to get comfortable with them, and then, you know, we can find things that irritate us, and, and we sort of put ourselves on the same level, and those things aren't always the best. So there are these places throughout the liturgy where we try to remember who Jesus is. And even though it is true that he's our brother and our friend, uh, he's also our savior, and as we'll talk about today, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Uh, even in the, in the letter that James wrote, he said, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and then he sort of, in heaven, and on earth and under the earth. So at the name of Jesus, the angels bow, the demons bow, and we bow too. So almost the question would be inverted, um, Why don't we bow every time the name of Jesus comes up? And so, you know, there's different ways of bowing. And now you get to liturgical, you know, there's sort of a partial bow and there's a full bow. And in some sense to genuflect, you know, is also a way to bow. Even Lutherans, when they used to come in before they'd go into their pew, you know, they'd come to their pew and touch a knee to the ground out of respect for the Lord. So, you know, like so many other things, These things are tactile reminders, right? Uh, That our flesh is saved, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus baptizes us, that Jesus comes for us. And so when we say, you know, um, born of the Virgin Mary, it's sort of a uh, thank you very much. You know, if the queen walked in the door, uh, or the king now, you know, we or the president, we would, despite what you think of them, you'd show sort of great respect. yeah, how much more, you know, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So where does it come from? It comes from Scripture. It comes from tradition. It comes from the practical knowledge of us and the help that we need. And also, you know, there's going to be days when you come to church uh, and you're so broken, you throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus. And on those days, you can't bow enough or, or make the sign of the cross enough. And also there are going to be days when you come um, hard hearted or indifferent. And on those days, you really do need to make the sign of the cross and also to bow. And, you know, even little things and, you know, I sort of go here a little bit and then I pull back. But you should know that, you know, for example, when people are quite ill to put the sign of the cross on them or in an exorcism, the sign of the cross makes the demons flee. Right. Every once in a while. I run those uh, uh, pieces about the Sragus, the seal uh, of baptism and how um, in the early church people protected themselves from all things evil by making the sign of the cross. So it's one of those things where I almost, you know, I've come to the point in my life where, you know, do you have to do that? No, you don't have to do anything. But I mean, you also don't have to catch that lottery ticket for a billion dollars. You don't have to do that, but you probably should, and then give 10% to the church. That'd be in my name, I'll take care of, B as in boy, R-U-Z. I'll take care of it, you can trust me, you can trust me. Really, you can. So uh, anyway, uh, it's it's a helpful thing for you to remember who you are and who Jesus is, as is all the things. And those are scattered, every place you see a cross, you know, those are scattered throughout the liturgy at kind of big points, and you say, uh, that's just what I need. So anyway, that's sort of the, Does that help? You know, you're free in these things, but you're also free to. Um, <laughs> you're also free to to, to help yourselves. You go and then more sassy stuff, which sort of tells you the character of the class. Our New Year's resolutions. You know, here's the thing. I'm always, our New Year's resolutions are form of Pelagianism. Well, I mean, they can be. A, Pelagianism is you're your, you know you're working your way to Jesus, or you're doing your part and. Galatians 1, you know, Paul says, if anybody says it's me and Jesus doing it together, they should be go straight to hell. He actually used the word anathema, damnation, right? So, you know, I mean, I suppose they could be, if it, but anybody who made a resolution like that probably doesn't care enough about Jesus to worry about it. So, um, you know, you, some of a you, you could probably use a resolution or two. We can talk about that someday if you come to confession. So, uh, anyway, you said, now, why do we ring the bells during the communion liturgy. I see all you, you're jumping ahead. You're so, you, you're, like, you're like my wife when she walks, watches a movie, she wants to talk to me about it. Wait, who is that guy? What do you think is gonna happen next? I think that I'm, see. There's two kinds of movie watchers. Quiet movie watchers and talking movie watchers. If any of you like to talk, come watch movies with my wife. Can be her best friend um why do we ring the bells yeah it's a doorbell ding 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 jesus is here and i'm actually being serious it's just like the doorbell on your house ding is there somebody at the door so you ring the bell at the moment when jesus descends from heaven to earth and then the three bits from the cross so you'll notice tomorrow whoever celebrates will hold the chalice near so that the blood from the icon can drip down into the chalice Jesus who comes from the cross onto the altar for your salvation and delivery. And then we genuflect to to honor that, to respect that, to adore that, that Jesus has shown up, right? So you ring the bells when he arrives and you ring the bells again to say, pay attention, this is the biggest thing that could ever happen to you. This is the center of the universe. This is the place where even if there was overpopulation, the world could not spin out of control. And then of course, you bow again to say, that's for me. So the adoration of it. So that's a great question. All of these things that happen, so you you come here and there are all these things that are, you know, we dress up, we have a parade, we light things on fire, right? We ring bells. Why do we do all that stuff? Because, because as Jesus says, my kingdom is otherworldly. If we look just like what's happening in the Starbucks, then why would you come here and not go to the Starbucks? The coffee is admirably better. But, you know, you should come here because there's coffee and something more. The body and blood of Jesus, for example. And just so you don't miss it, We'll ring the bell to wake you up after that boring sermon. Okay, so there you go. Anything else? Nothing could be more fun than answering these questions, to be honest with you. It's helpful so much. Good morning. So, um, I need somebody. The vicar, oh, he's here! You're a good man, vicar. Well, oh, tonight, the advertisement, among the other things that the vicar has done, has picked out all kinds of craft beers. So if you come tonight, what time does this start, Vic? Five? Happy hour at five. Why does the church have a happy hour? That's right after, why does the church ring bells? So there'll be Lou and salad, and then the beers that the vicar picked out, not by taste or kind, but rather by the beauty of the can. It was like reading comic books. So there you go. Question. What is the significance of saints saint john good right it's very nicely played it's the feast day of saint thomas aquinas today so why you know what's the what's the point well um lutherans said a couple of different things about that um one you admire them You, you just can't believe anybody made it through life and at the end you know smiled while they got skinned alive or had the chance to um you know deny the faith and they didn't polycarp when they came to get him Uh, you know, his choice was to go to the lions or deny the faith. He said, you know, he's an old man, 92 or 93, and he says, Jesus never did anything to me. I don't know why I should deny him at this point. He's always kind of taking good care of me, right? So one, it's just admirable that anybody can make it through life. And so we say, uh, you're fabulous. And then next, um, they serve as great examples then for us. I wish I could be more like St. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so there's a Christmas, the prayer, um, that we say on Christmas Eve at Lessons and Carols. And our patron Saint John, it would, it, would, it would make his heart warm to know that we're here, you know, reading the Christmas story. It's a beautiful prayer. So good example, a person to admire. And then classically, you know, this goes a little bit farther, Lutherans aren't so good at making saints. Um, They should be a little bit better at it. But of course, if the Catholics do it, then it must be wrong, so we can't do it. You know, this is a dumb idea. So, you know, you kind of go, you know, how do you get to be a saint? Well, and you you sort of know this. Um, You live a holy life. You have a miracle or two. And then, um, you know, the church recognizes you as being one through whom the, the Lord worked in a particular way. The other way that you can become a saint is to be martyred, uh, in the course of confessing the faith. So you remember that um, the latest, greatest example were those guys who ISIS got a hold of, um, the Africans, and they took the YouTube video, and you know they cut off their heads, and you could watch it on one after another. The most interesting thing, and, and as they were, you know, could deny the faith, and their reply was, Jesus is Lord, one after another, 20 guys in a row. The last guy, an African guy, was not among the Orthodox, the cops who were um, martyred. And they said, you're not with them. Or they said, they said you're, you're not a Christian. He said, I'm with them, Jesus Lord. And so um, they're already the 21 martyrs. Uh, you, they're already icons, you know, you, they're recognized by the church. So another way to become a saint is to is the. But, you know, we should only say fabulous things about the saints. And we should recognize the way that the Lord has worked through them, you know, in the way that we recognize people who do other things excellently, right? So, um, we should embrace. And, you know, of course, in, in all things there's politics and push and pull and disagreements and all that. You know, this is how life is. When you, you know, are bowing your knee in heaven rather than on earth, things will sort of sort out for you. Thank you, that's very nice. Anything else you want to chatter about? So, um, hey, your church photo, here it is. Right? You recognize this? Um, This is the famous Rublev icon of the Holy Trinity. So if you're just looking at this, um, what do you see? Uh, And I'm sorry the you know, every time I copy this, the color gets a bit worse, but you do have these, you know, in the original, the gorgeous colors of you know, the blue of eternity and the red of, um, you know, Jesus' blood. And the, What else do you notice about them, though, if you just look at them? What are the, or what are the, cla- maybe you know this. If you know this, what are the things that everybody should see? Or what do you notice for the first time? Anything going on there? See anything? Come on, be brave. Yes, please. Well, hold that. Don't, you said it in such a soft voice. We'll hold that for the end. That's the big punchline. What else, though? They all got halos, so they're all saints, that's good. Uh, at least saints, they're holy in some ways. When you, when you light up, that's, a, that's some, some sense of, of your holiness. What else have you got going on there? Please. They're all looking down. Yeah, that's very interesting. So they're, and they're all looking down. So what do you think they're looking down at, just when you take a look at it? I wish the copy was better, I walked away. Go ahead. Oh, look at you with your pure heartedness going all the way to chalice. Don't go any individual, like silverware and plates. Go right to chalice. You're a fine human being. That's right, <laughs> good job. Yeah, so they're looking down at the meal, or which you are, of course. And then, of course, as they're looking down, what's Jesus' handbook like? Oh, wait, is that Jesus? Hold on, right? So he has already, you know, his hand in the first two letters of his, the K-R- of Christos, right? So kind of classic way in the West, in the East more like this, in the West more like this. But already it's at least a blessing, putting the name on something. Um, this is you know, the literal translation of this. These are the three guys who showed up at the door with Abraham and Sarah. But then of course the church has long intimated, speculated, confessed that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit showed up to say, hey, don't worry about things, you're gonna have a child and it's all gonna work out, right? Now, big finish, of course, this is the most basic of all things, right? Um, but now, Chrisman, in order to cross me up, not just with this question, he lent me a copy of this fabulously subversive Russian movie that came out in the 60s, Rublev, right? Andre Rublev. Andrei Rublev. If you wanna watch something and three and a half hours in black and white and have no idea what you're watching. (laughs) You should watch this film, which took the world by storm, and the the Russians found it to be, it was surreptitiously released it at Cannes and and won a prize. It was like kind of at the last moment, the Russians saw it as this great political offense. You have to, I mean, it's just the, it's the craziest thing, right? I got no idea what's going on. Uh, But you should watch it because it's about Rublev and this icon, and it's glorious. And of course, it turns to color in the last 60 seconds, which like the Wizard of Oz makes everything okay, right? (laughs) But anyway, the big finish for this is what? The table is open. The table is open. You're the four, that's your spot. See, And, and of course, we're at the creed point. When you think about the creed, what is the creed? The creed's a love letter. The creed invites you home. The creed says, This is your spot. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have a place for you. And heaven will be a poorer place without you. And you should come close. Come home for dinner, right? And what will happen to you? Well, you'll be blessed and you'll have um, good company and you'll feel warm and included and loved. And you'll never be alone and all will be well. Even when things aren't well, they'll still be well. And so, you know, the icon invites you to be part of the family, right? It invites you to join the saints. It invites you to join the angels. It invites you to join the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to come be part. And that's the experience you want to have when you come here. In some sense, when you come to the liturgy, it should be an experience that you don't have anywhere else. You should, you know, come near to that and be blessed. Now, you need to take good care of this. Here's your midterm exam, I hope you all studied. Now, I grew up in Iowa, from which comes the Iowa basic skills. Did you take the Iowa basic skills? Because you can't be successful in life without the Iowa basic skills. Now, when they gave us the Iowa basic skills, what was the first thing they would always say? What was the first thing they say? Here is your paper, do not turn it over. And, of course, there was always one kid who turned it over, right? And then he had to take the fourth grade again. So, unless you want to take the fourth grade again, do not turn it over. Just keep it on this side. This is your midterm exam. Meanwhile, I will talk to you about Jesus while that gets passed out. Come on, don't be a cheater. Don't turn it over, right? Let me give you some color commentary. From, hmm. John 14, listen to this. As the vicar works, he can not only pick out beer, he can pass out papers. He is... Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. This is so interesting, right? Now again, this is a little bit... The question about, you know, saints and bowing, they're all kind of of the same flavor, and they're all beautiful questions. So you can either hear this as... um, jesus shaking his finger at you saying max you shape up and obey or you can hear this as jesus said i love you max come with me it's all going to be fabulous right jesus said if anybody loves me he'll obey my teaching which of course you know suggests that jesus has some teaching and then other people have other kinds of teaching and my father will love him and will come to him and we'll make our home with him the icon right He who doesn't love me won't obey my teaching, right? The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And I've spoken them while I was with you. But the counselor, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom my Father will send you, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I say. So Jesus invites you to dinner and he tells you this fabulous story. And he's well aware that other people are telling other kinds of stories. But if you really think that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, then you hold desperately with all you've got, like Polycarp, like the saints, like St. John, who stood at the cross when everybody else was. You cling to that and never let it go. Now, clinging is an active thing. It takes work. It takes more, it takes refresher, it takes discipline, it takes exposure, it takes touch, it takes interest, it takes excitement, right? It's like learning anything else. You, you, you pour yourself into it, you know? If you want a good golf swing, you practice. If you want to speak French, then you speak French at home with your children and that's all they ever hear, right? So in the same way, um, When it comes to Jesus, if you don't hold on tightly, you will lose it. And so every time we come to church, we say the creed. And we say the creed so that at least you'll get the big points, because if you don't get the big points, things will get muddled, which brings us to your Iowa basic skills test. When you look at this, do not turn it over. What is it that you see? You older people who have been here before, now be still, no cheating ahead. When you look at this, what do you see? Just in general, what's your what sort of catches your eye, right? Who's there in somebody's arms? Who is that? It could be the baby Jesus, or it could be the baby Buddha. Yes, listen, that's a good little Buddha right there. He's got those little fat Buddha arms and that little fat Buddha, right? You know, it just kind of, you know, there he is, and um, you know. That gentle sort of pull, she's dressed like a nun, or maybe a Virgin Mary. But she doesn't actually look like a Virgin Mary, at least not the ones you know. Or, you know, maybe she does. All right, now keeping that in mind, turn this over. Again, my orange didn't come out very well with the copier. But I read this, I was on a flight somewhere and I was reading The Economist, you know, this is a zillion years ago. And I come across this story which is now, you know, more famous, the movie Silence and, you know, the history of of the Jesuits in Japan. But it's a fascinating example of why we go to church, why we practice and why we say the creed. So if you just sort of, if you just sort of, um, you know. Murakami, an 80-something laborer with calloused hands and nicotine-stained teeth, jogs forward. This is a holy place uh, to Japan's hidden Christians who worship privately at each other's homes. Now, in some sense, you go, well, good for them, right? They held it together because it's not easy being a Christian in Japan. When Francis Xavier introduced Christianity in 1549, the going was too good. 400,000 Japanese baptized before the government banned them in 1612. And then the trouble, and this is the famous part of the story, right? Thousands were crucified, boiled, drowned, burnt, or otherwise murderously dispatched. Many gave up. That's how it always happens in persecution. This could be written, you know, don't think ill of the Japanese. I mean, you could think ill of the Romans, right? This is how persecution was in the early church. But a large number kept the faith by setting up a secret organization using the cover of Buddhist rituals to practice Christian ones. Now, in some sense you go, well, that's clever, except pretty soon you can't tell this from that. And so, you know, it gives you these examples, right? Um, A shaving of a cross would be placed under a cloth triangle on the forehead that was required for a Buddhist death rite, right? Or uh, if you go to the next page, um, not until 1873 was Christianity legalized. At that point, most of the 50,000 or so hidden Christians returned to conventional Catholic practice, but a large minority didn't wish to do so. Now, there's a danger here. Um, You should be able to spot it immediately. One is, you always need some community, And the community checks itself, right? That's true, that's not true. Jesus said, you obey my teaching, you don't obey other teachings. You also need somebody who knows things, like a priest, for example, who can teach you things. Right? This isn't, um, you know, any place else in the world. It's so interesting, you know, we're in this world now where experts can't be trusted, you know, and institutions are. But here's the thing. If any of you have a heart attack today and go to CDH, I guarantee you, your experts can't be trusted, will go right out the window. You will not walk in and say, I'll take surgery from the first guy you say. Say the custodian who has a box cutter, but has never really been in an operating theater, okay? So you don't really believe that, so don't say it anymore. You, You actually take experts when you need them, when the stakes are high. And the stakes are never higher than they are in the church, right? Because here's the reason, the inevitable result of 250 years of underground practice transmitted orally by people lightly schooled in the faith was a highly unconventional Christianity. That's to put it mildly. A Japanese version of the Bible recreated from memory in the 1820s, so you know, 200 years later, tells for example of the young holy one debating with Buddhist priests. Of course, that's what Jesus would do. If he was around, he'd. Go see the Buddhists, right? Because they have a temple and he had a temple and he was young and they were smart and, right? Um, Two men, Pancha and Perotto, were told to kill all the children under five in an echo of Herod's, uh, Herod's order, right? Mary gives birth in a stable, but the innkeeper who had spurned her then takes her in, in a wonderfully Japanese touch, he offers her a hot bath, right? The onsen. So, you know, the thing is, is it's not not completely wrong. It's just not right. And um, this is one of the reasons I give you this. This is the one of the reasons you have a creed. This is the reason you say the creed. Because if you don't say it, you won't remember it, right? And I'll even go so far as to argue this is the reason why church on Sunday is different than than, than the world outside. Because... One of the things, if you read the rest of the article, one of the things is people go, hey, if, if the church looks just like the street, why would I walk in a church? Why? There's no good reason to go. So you go to the church to get something that you could not get anywhere else. And the church, uh, you know, has its own way of working. Vicar. You still with me? You okay? Questions about anything? You can ask them all you want, although you know I won't stop talking. It's like my wife watching a movie. Oh, don't Don't tell her I said that. that. We all talk about different things at different times, right? So, you know, for your good, the Creed says, there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are of the same substance. They are all God. And they all have a single purpose in life, which is to have you come home for dinner. Now, in every age, you know, it just seems like it's more with us now, but in every age, there are people who say, well, I just don't believe that, or I have my own ideas about the divine, or I have a different God, Um, you know, or I just can't possibly believe that. Uh, To which, Megan, if we need help in these situations, who do we call upon? The Orthodox. Yes, right here it is. So, this is a beautiful little piece about humility. Right? Did you get one? Okay, good. In a church history course in my last year at Yale Divinity School, the professor invited an Orthodox priest to lecture. Now, you just, you know, you think that that's a normal thing, but... An Orthodox priest walking into Yale Divinity School, you kind of, that's like east is from west. He gave a rather dry talk on the development of the creeds. At the end of the lecture, an earnest student asked, Father Theodore, what can one do when one finds it impossible to affirm certain tenets of the creed? You remember, this is in divinity school where people go to be divine. The priest looked confused, which, as I've grown older, I, I would like to look confused more often in these situations. <laughs> well, you just say it, it's not that hard to master. With a little effort, most can do it quickly, most can quickly learn it by heart. "No, you don't understand," continued the student. what am I to do when I have difficulty affirming parts of the creed, like the virgin birth?" The priest continued to look confused, which is what I want to do. You just say it particularly when you have difficulty believing it you must keep saying it it will come to you eventually exasperatedly and i can tell you the number of academic places i've been where students are exasperated because nobody can understand why they're right and everybody else is wrong the student a product of the same church that produced me and a representative of the 60s pleaded how can i with integrity affirm a creed in which i do not believe then the payoff it's not your creed young man said the priest it's our creed keep saying it for heaven's sake eventually it may come to you for some it takes longer and now the pastoral care how old are you 23 don't be so hard on yourself <laughs> there are lots of things one doesn't know at 23 eventually it may come to you Even if it doesn't, don't worry, it's not your creed. So part of the reason we say the creed is to remind you that it's not your creed. Now, we do, and you, some of you have been around a bit, you know that actually in the original language, the creed starts we believe, not I believe. Which is an interesting, um, you know, if you're sort of Western and you want to uh, emphasize, you know, my personal faith, okay, I, but, you know, some... Uh, Some folks have gone back to we What do the orthodox you say the creed when you say do they say we do you know? Yeah, yeah, right, so I'm just trying to remember I just don't know what the but in any case uh, The point of saying the creed is to help you affirm it even when you can't affirm it The virgin birth is not a very difficult thing. I mean this is not this is not a difficult thing friends I mean, the Holy Spirit, with, with, for whom nothing is impossible, not even you and your unfaithfulness, not even me and my sins. So the Holy Spirit, for whom nothing is impossible, um, says kind things to Mary, and they go in and rattle around under her eardrum, go over to her esophagus, go straight south, um, hit her in the womb, and she is, miraculously pregnant. This isn't such a hard thing to believe for somebody who is for one for whom nothing is impossible. Now you either confess it or you don't. You can explain it if you want or not. Um, you can confess it if you like or not. Uh, just as a sidebar, though, your salvation for eternity depends on it. But, you know, if you want to just kind of brush that off the table for a moment, um, you know, okay. But, uh, you know, these things are not yours to do with as you want. This is especially, you know, post-enlightenment, but it's always been a problem. It's Adam in the garden, for goodness sakes, when the devil says, did God really say? Which is the same thing as to say, I just can't affirm this. It's this exactly the same. Nothing has changed in however many thousand years you want to number. Um, you know, the Lord says, um, this is how it is. I love you and I made you. When you fell, I sent my son to save you. That done, I give you my Holy Spirit to keep you close. And someday through the church, you'll come back to me and life will be beautiful once again. You can either, you know, embrace that, or you can say, well, I do have some problems with that. Um, You can have all the questions you want, but I'd advise you against your problems. And when you have your problems, you should just come say the creed, because how old are you, you know, 23, 24, don't worry, be patient, you'll get it, right, stay with it, Well, you can end up like this guy over here, fabulous, right, uh, I mean, like a Christman, you can end up like Christman, sassy but saved, it's a beautiful combination, right, so, and, and you know, the thing is, the whole character, the whole thing works together why do we you know why do we say the creed well because this is what jesus has said to us you know why do we bow and make the sign of the cross because we're so grateful that jesus would say this to us what do we do when we stumble around over it well we say it again and eventually it'll come to you what do you do if you never can get it well you know hold on because in heaven everything will come clear and when you see the angels doing it, and your old Aunt Mary, and she was a bit of a sourpuss, she'll be there saying it, you know, and you're the best teacher you ever had, your second grade teacher, Mrs. Burkholz she'll, she'll be there too. And then as they start to do it, and then all the angels in heaven, cherubim and seraphim, powers, will all do this, you'll probably think to yourself, I guess I'll do that too, because that's the done thing, right? Does this make sense? It's not your creed, right? It's Jesus' creed. And he gives it to you for your enjoyment and your salvation. And so, um, you know, things just keep going. You, you, of course, can ask a question. So can we, what about the, the word we've changed? Yeah. The Catholic, Christian church. Yeah, um, you know what? I'm gonna retire. You think I should just change it back? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Their leverage decreases by the second. Um, I'd be very happy to go back and, in fact, so this is Mary who makes the coffee. You know, I used to say in here, for years I would say, and if I could only kiss the altar when, the altar, when, when we walk in, because, you know, it's Jesus. And then, you know, Mary once said in a group like this, why don't you just shut up and kiss the altar already? So now we kiss the altar when we go in, because, you know, like the bells, everything has a purpose. Just so you know, the incense marks territory. Right? And the, the bell's like a doorbell. And kissing the altar is just saying good morning to your brother or father or mother, right? You kiss people you love. Uh, Catholic would be nice. It's a bit of a Lutheran weakness to, you know, not be able to tell a big C from a small C. You'd think we'd be better. It's simple grammar, Iowa basic skills. It's right there. <laughs> right? So if, if I had, if I was in charge, if I was ever senior pastor, <laughs> In fact, you could say it tomorrow under your breath if you want, I do, so um, (laughs) when the mic's not on. I know there was a new one, but what is, I can't think, I got so many, you know, for weeks you gave me nothing, now you give me so many I can't keep up, right? Hold on here, hold on. Can we affirm that we are one holy Catholic Church? Yeah, we should. With a lowercase say, I wish we did. Uh, You know, the thing is, is here's the bad thing about pastors, Lutheran pastors especially, but pastors are horrible innovators. Almost nobody I know can do the liturgy straight out of the book. They all have to do something. I'll tell you one of the saddest stories of my life. My father died. And my parents had been members of the same church their entire lives and it just happened they were between pastors and they had a temporary pastor there, kind of filling in and so i went to you know talk to the man about my father's funeral and you know i knew who he was and he knew who i was and i was determined not to play trump and so i simply said to him i'm a pastor you're a pastor i'm completely under your care i have one request for my father's funeral one request I said, we won't pick the hymns, we won't pick the texts. I have one request for you. That you would simply do the funeral rite from the hymnal. It's the family's only request. Because I knew this guy was sort of the I'm wandering around and being a comedian kind of guy. He lasted, honest to God, at my father's funeral, less than two minutes until he's wandering around and acting like it's his show and nobody can remember why we're there and who knows what in the world he ever said. Pastors are horrible interviewers. They cannot be obedient. It's unbelievable. The liturgy is there to be done. And so now I confess to you, you know, (laughs) I'm of this tribe, right? And this tribe puts out their book and in their book they say, Christian and it's a sadness because it should say Catholic because there's no reason to say because because we have a big Lutheran school System where they actually teach the difference between capital letters and small letters, and why do we do that? It's dumb But would I change it then I become like the guy who did my father's funeral, so I have always these things where I you know, What am I gonna do right? I have a question about that, because so many people now learn by listening rather than reading. Yeah. Is the biggest reason why? It's because it's confusing if you don't read and you're just listening. It, it gets very confusing. Say you're a normal guy who grew up at the church and learned the creed and says Catholic. Then you come here and people say Christian, you go, yeah. it's like when you go to a Catholic church and, you know, they, they say the Lord's Prayer and then only the Lutherans say for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, right? That's how they sort you out. That's the reason it's there. There's no other reason than that. Is, is, there, is there still an asterisk in the hymn? I don't think so. Because that'd be, we'd be admitting error and God knows we don't want to do that in the church. Well there used to be Whoa, did there? There used to be an asterisk? They had a little footnote. They had a footnote. Is it still there? I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked at the liturgy in so many years. That's all. Is it there? Is there an asterisk in the creed? Well, that's the sort of thing you can sink your teeth into, life or death. So they said to Polycarp, would you, would you rather, you know, die by fire or, or uh, you know, confess Jesus? And he said, is it the one with the asterisk or is it the... So you see even how, you see how ridiculous this is? That you, you, you actually, in the thing that people should never abandon, you put a footnote, right? And you kind of. <laughs> and they said there, Jesus, if this is the case, who can be saved, right? Could you explain the Philly Oakway Clause? What kind of people are you? <laughs> Perhaps I misspelled this. I should refuse to answer this just because it's misspelled. <laughs> Filioque is, uh, is a simple thing. Like in all things, these are actually, you have to just simplify them, right? So it's a simple question about, does the Holy Spirit come, proceed from the Father or from the Father and the Son? In the East, they say, he proceeds solely from the Father. In the West, they say, um, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now, just remembering my history, and you know, if you want an Oxford English Dictionary this later, go ahead, but you know, I don't think about this every day, but I seem to recall that this happened in the 11th century, and there might have also been the dispute over a monastery, its land and its riches, between the people in the East and the West, and perhaps the Filioque might have emerged as a reason for people to split and keep the cash on one side or the other. But, you know, this is just my Lutheran speculation about things. Uh, You know, this is a hill on which people do die, and it would be pleasurable if the East and West could get together after, you know, a thousand years and sort of sort this out. Um, It's a technical question. You might answer it this way. Does the spirit come from the Father and from the Son? Um, It does, of course, come from the Father. The spirit does. The, the, The spirit is, you know... Um, expressed in the love of the Father's heart. But Jesus actually says in the high priestly prayer um, in John, you know, 14, 15, 16, hey, I'm leaving, but don't worry, I'll leave you my spirit. I'll send my spirit to dwell in you. Actually, I have this text for Bible study tomorrow that we're going to use for a little bit. So, you know, what does it mean, and how is it charged, and what's at stake, and why can't people get it together? Um almost like there should be an asterisk there. But then, you know, things can go badly all over. So, you know, you can be saved either way. Um, You know, there's many people in the church that I like to calm down, and these people are among them. Although I do take the point that it is something seriously, and theology is meant to be, you know, precise and agreed upon, but like everything else, it's, uh, it can be difficulty. And we all have something to repent of. So anyway, there you go. And whoever asked that, God bless you, my child, for actually knowing there even is a filioque clause. All right, what else? Got anything else you're just kind of interested in? Because I got plenty of stuff to talk about still. Um, you, can handle, you can handle out this, Vic, while we're just um, goofing around a little bit. Uh, You're actually going to say, I mean, if you join, I'm going to, you're going to stand up and say, hey, I'm in, and these people are my brother and sisters, and I'm going to come to church, and I believe what you say, and despite all the troubles, we're all in it together, and, you know, Lutherans are the cleanest dirty shirt, and, uh, you know, here we go, so, uh, you know, just so you know sort of what you're getting into, so if you come on Easter Vigil, you're not surprised. You might uh, pick up a catechism then, and we'll take a look at least how the Lutherans want to think about this. It's funny, I uh, you know, as I come to kind of the, you know, my later years and all these things, um, my appreciation for every bit of this scripture and catechism of how God loves me, as opposed to, you know, sort of the finger wagging pastors that I grew up with, or frankly. Um, the very live theological disputes that my colleagues love to, you know, keep burning brightly. Uh, It makes me wonder sometimes. But uh, for you, I give you the advice that came in the first bit, which was just keep saying it. So if you look at your catechism, if you pick up a catechism, we need to find the creed part. Has somebody got the page? They've renumbered these pages, these young hipster kids. What is it, 10? 16. 16, thank you. So this is what it means um, if you're going to be a Lutheran. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Now immediately you will say to me, of course, I've been talking about the Nicene Creed the whole time, which is more expansive. This is the Apostles' Creed in here. What's the difference? Um, The Apostles' Creed is what you say in order to be baptized. These are the things I believe. And then the Nicene Creed expands to work out some of the details where people argued about things, very important things. For example, um, is Jesus the same ousia, the same stuff as the Father, same divinity, same essence? There's all kinds of ways to talk about this. Or is he sort of a notch down? Is he a creature, like you, rather than um, being begotten from eternity, like God himself, right? Or is he uh, a human who was later adopted and sort of lifted up as God's child? The Nicene Creed was meant to address things like that. So as people think and then argue and then um, kill each other over their arguments, you know, every once in a while the church gets together and tries to straighten things out. Uh, when I was, I've done two stunts, stints of missionary work in Russia and kind of been from one side to the other. So I could remember being on Lake Baikal with an old man named Horace Humble who'd been my Old Testament teacher, but he was intrepid. And somewhere in the middle of Lake Baikal, uh, it's a crazy thing. It has like 20% of the world's fresh water and it's so big it has its own microclimates. It's crazy. Um, I was moaning to him about the church, and he just kind of, you know, this and that, and these troubles, and how about this and those asterisks, and how about that filioque? who's, you know, people, voter. And he sort of just, started, you know, he's an old man by then, I mean, he just died, so, but he was, he was probably 70 then, and we're crawling in and out of these little boats, going across the lake, and he says, you know, he just starts laughing at me, the, and he says, read church history, son. Read church history, it's always been this way. Which I've come to take as is- kind of beautiful advice, it's always been this way. I could, you know, I could without without breaking a sweat, I could irritate you and make your hearts hard. I actually know how to do this. I know where the bodies are buried. What good would that be to you? I also, presuming your hearts are wounded, can help you find solace and healing, which I take to be my job. I have it in me. I mean, I have a PhD in systematic theology. I like my ducks in a row, and I know where the arguments are. And I also know there's two ways to present those art: one in a way to spear other people, and another to tell you how Jesus loves you. As a pastor, I prefer the second, although I can do the first, but my problem isn't that I won't start, my problem is that I won't stop. And so uh, it's better than not to get started. So page 16, right? This is, if you're gonna be baptized, this is what you'd say before they stripped you naked and turned you to the West and had you curse the demons and turn you to the East and drew you in among the candlelight and submerged you three times and anointed you and pulled you out and took you to the Eucharist and told you that all was right with the universe and that God loved you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. What does this mean? I believe God made me. So when there were just the three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their heart was pure love, love always looks for more, to bless, to engage, to share with, to have home for dinner, the icon rubla, right? I believe that God made me and all creatures, give me body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members, reason, all my senses, still preserves them. This is just a way of saying, is if you see it, it came from the Lord as a blessing and he stands behind what he does. He's not distant, he's near. Later, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, you know, the first question is, is heaven and God is it near or far? Just for advance credit. It's near. The Lord is very near to you. He also gives me clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, everything, right? Land, animals, all I have. He richly and daily provides me. With all I need to support this body in life, even when I'm suffering, even when I'm dying, even when I'm polycarp. Even when I'm disturbed by the filioque, even when it seems like it's hell on earth. He still sticks by me, richly. He defends me against all danger. You should remember when the demons come for you, that Jesus is bigger than the demons. And guards and protects me from all evil. You should pray for Pastor Nelson. I see the way he begins to suffer now as the trauma moves from me to him. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy. And then the Lutheran bit without any merit or worthiness, not because I'm such a good boy, but because Jesus loves bad boys. For all it is my duty to thank, and praise, serve, and obey him. And I wonder if you can understand duty in the way of doing the right thing or offering something that will be received by someone far superior to you, or as what makes the world go around, right? So God is my father and he loves me desperately Um, for you who had bad fathers. We can talk about this a bit when we get to the our father. Um, But the short answer is everything is be corrupted, can be corrupted, but perhaps this would be the moment where things could be redeemed. Amen. This is most certainly true. So, there you have the Father who loves you so. And then the second article. I believe, we believe, in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Now, that's a mouthful already. Jesus, He's called His name Jesus, He'll forgive sins. And Christ, He's the anointed one promised from forever to square things up. He's the Son of the Father, and He's also our Lord. But He's also our brother, so He's our Master, and, but He also... Um, He's like the big brother who protects you, sticks with you, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We just did that. Mary got pregnant through her ear. Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So he's like you, he suffers in his life. But he's not like you because he suffers as an innocent. Everything you suffer could be say, well, he deserved that. But Jesus didn't deserve any of it. Which then makes it a lie when people say, Jesus just doesn't understand me. He understands you <laughs> it'd be more accurate to say you don't understand him he suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried that was the end of him oh wait it wasn't the end of him he descended into hell the third day he rose from the dead just like he said he would Jonah in the whale he ascended into heaven he sits at the right hand of God where he spends his days praying for you Romans 8 What does Jesus do all day? He prays for you because he loves you and he wants your life to work out and he wants you to be sure that you know that he's threading everything together and it'll all be fine eventually so that everything comes to you as a gift and a blessing and even your death can be received uh, as a friend. There's no other way to get there than to die. So um, we'll die then. But you shouldn't fear that because he'll come to judge the living and the dead. And when he looks at you, and this is the glory of Lutheranism, he will judge you 100% righteous, 100% with love. He'll forget your sins as if they never happened. And embrace you as if you too are holy because you actually are holy because he's Jesus and he forgives everything. See? What does this mean? I believe Jesus, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, So he's the same stuff. He and the father were there together. And I can't explain it to you. If you ask me, I can't. You know, What does it mean that he's um, born from eternity, begotten from eternity? I have no idea. It's a way of describing something I can't understand. But there's a lot of things I can't understand. And I still believe them. Like, you know, quantum computers. How is it that things are in two places at one time? I don't know, but it actually seems to work because... They chug out answers way faster than old computers. Hmm, I don't understand, but I do believe in them. So, um, I believe Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, true man is born of the Virgin Mary. That's my guy. He's mine, I'm his. He redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, a person that won me from all sins, from death, from the power of the devil, which may be the thing that um, is most immediately frightening in a world where everything seems undone, and evil seems to have the upper hand, uh, you're rescued from that too. Not gold or silver, which is just the way that Luther could figure out to say, the best thing we've got. So not with the best thing we've got, not with anything we've got, but with his holy precious blood, he'll die for me. And you know, when people, uh, so often, You know, it's been, it's died down now, but for the last 10 or 20 years, there was all this stuff about how, you know, the atonement is a form of divine child abuse. You know, the father makes the son go save you and he makes him do it by dying. Or we're not savages and we don't need blood sacrifice. Really, I just, next time you call the fire department and you're on the third floor and your house is on fire and people come charging up the stairs, Ask yourself whether you believe in people who give themselves for others. 9-11, ask yourself if you believe. Soldiers, ask yourself. We believe in this everywhere. It's completely disingenuous to suggest that we won't believe in it at the point of God saving us. Mothers, you know, into the fire for their children. Fathers, into the lake, you know, when their children are drowning. We believe in this everywhere. It is everywhere, and it is most exemplified in Jesus who comes for you. That I may be his own, come to dinner, and live at that table where the Eucharist is being celebrated. Timothy, chalice, good job, chalice, good job, chalice. In everlasting righteousness, innocent, and blessedness, which means everything is going to be just great, and then get better across eternity this is true. Oh, sorry. Just as he has risen from the dead and lives and reigns for all eternity. So he rose and I rose. That's what we'll say at the vigil, right? His story is my story. And then the third article, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Christian Church. Isn't that weird? You believe in the church too, like you believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's weird. Because look at you. In some sense, you're the church. And you know what? If I had to believe in any of you, uh, you know, I like you, and the donuts are free. But beyond that, I, you know, oh wait, it was the Holy Church, the Holy Catholic Church, the Church where Jesus gives out His gifts, the Church where the Father is, looks at you and says how pleased He is with you as His beloved, and the Holy Spirit comes and changes people's hard hearts into soft hearts that love each other. A place where you can have community like this. A place where you can be accepted. A place where you needn't be judged and you don't have to gossip to get attention. A place where you can be an idiot, but you're our idiot, right? Uh, The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. It's all gonna be okay. Jesus will put your pieces back together. You're gonna be fine. I believe that I can't by my own reason or strength believe. This is the craziest line in the catechism. I believe I can't believe. Or another way to say it is this wasn't my idea. Right? This is the purest of Lutheran things. I believe I can't believe. I believe I can't decide for Jesus. I believe this isn't my work. I believe I'm not a Pelagian. <laughs> I believe that I can't believe, but The Holy Spirit came calling by the gospel, brought light, illumination, one of the great beliefs of Christianity, that the Holy Spirit is a fire who makes things bright and pure. Enlightened me with his gifts, the gifts of word and sacrament. Sanctified, so made me holy, and keeps me sanctified in the true faith, even though I disappoint him on a regular basis. He tends to forget about that and still loves me and always forgives. In the same way, he does it to all of you, knuckleheads. He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church, which means we're all the same. We're all in the same boat, and it's a fabulous boat. Right? And he keeps it with Jesus Christ, your master, your captain, your brother, your friend, in the one true faith nice and that's why you um, come to church and that's what you can't get anywhere else in which Christian church he daily and richly forgives all my sins he never gets tired of me and my sins and the sins of all believers and the last day someday he's gonna raise me up with all the dead my body and my soul and give eternal life to me and everybody who believes this is true stuff so you know um, if you're struggling with it say it over and over again don't worry, eventually it'll come to you. And then some days it'll leave you, and then you can come and see me, and we can talk about spiritual darkness, because that wouldn't be anything uncommon, and temptation, and um, how the devil works on you, and how you work on yourself. But you just keep saying it. I mean, you know, we did the third commandment about going to church, but this is the reason you go to church. It's not because, like, go to church, it's because... You can't get this anywhere else, and apparently the Lord thinks you can last about six days before you need a brush-up, right? It's a little like when you buy that monthly car wash thing, and you can go every Saturday for free. The church must be like that. All right, think it over. Uh, You know, give me another six or seven weeks, then we'll be in the middle of Lent, and everybody has something to confess of in Lent. And then, you know, we'll see what happens next, okay? We should pray. Hang around if you want. I love you all. Thanks for coming back. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Show up at 5 o'clock, dinner's on us. Beer, Lou Malnati's pizza, both the, the Chicago style and regular Iowa style. Uh, yeah, bring your friends if you want, there'll be plenty of stuff. And then Patrick Bynes talking about Revelation. 5 o'clock, see you.